this is not restless. Okay, I know you just want to get to the show, but I'm actually here to tell you that there's a way that you can get even more restless in your life. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast, where there are three different ways, starting at just $3 a month, that you can both support this show and at the same time get even more content, at least one extra episode a week and often more. Not to mention the Restless Telegram channel that you'll have access to 24-7 to interact with all the other patrons. If you want more Restless in your life, this is the way. Go to patreon.com backslash the Restless podcast. Okay, back to the show. Pastor Michael, this is the Restless podcast. Can we play that? unifying anthem that we often do when we live stream why not why not you got it queued up go pastor michael as long as i can keep this weird vpn disconnected we should have a super great live stream tonight uh <laughs> how are you doing are you feeling good about this tonight? yeah well i'm excited i uh i mentioned this on twitter to keith foskey who uh shouted out the fact that we were going to be doing a live stream and uh you know i just maybe it was maybe two weeks ago i was leading an adult Sunday school class at our church. And as we were getting started, somebody asked, Hey, have you, have you heard of like a guy, do you know who the guy is who looks like Doug Wilson uh, and was debating him about post-millennialism? <laughs> uh, Cause they had just seen like a, just a, an image of it. They hadn't even watched it. I was like, Oh yeah. And then they, I don't think that they had watched it, but from that they started to watch some of, Keith's videos, but I was like, yeah, I know who he is. He was on the podcast. <laughs> and so you should, I mean, I didn't get to talk to him, but Matt did. And I was like, are you not listening? So we had to work out some church discipline in that case, but just That's kidding, everyone. I don't discipline people for not listening to my podcast or I probably wouldn't have a church. There'd be, there'd be like five people. I know that some people listen to this, but there's not that many <laughs> and that's probably fine. And it's a thing probably people who don't have a podcast assume that like everyone you know listens to your podcast. Definitely it's not, not true. Well, Pastor Michael, I think we are particularly qualified to live stream and review this debate. And let me give you a few of the many reasons. There are many reasons, by the okay. way, everybody. Number one, we are well practiced at reviewing debates. We have been reviewing good faith TGC debates. <laughs> All summer long. Yeah. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And they're much longer than this video. So, Pastor Michael, number number two, you happen to be a post-millennial PCA pastor, and I happen to be an amillennial PCA pastor. Amil Army, rise up. Support the 
<laughs> dozens of us, dozens. <laughs> um, and so I think we're ready. I think we are the precise people made. We are made to do this. This is our moment. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to do it. And I think those are basically all of our qualifications. We hope tonight that <laughs> that's you, it. That's it. You will and learn. we're gonna have fun. Either way, we're gonna have fun, no matter how this turns out. Um, it's shorter than the TGC debates. Awesome. Um, it seems like maybe it's not so debatey, a little bit more conversationally. Uh, okay, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So, Pastor Michael, we are gonna watch this debate. We're skipping the first three minutes because they were not anything about the debate we are going to start when each pastor introduces himself okay that's that is the solution um not to my internet problems that's an entirely uh that's an entirely <laughs> problem so look at this they're using uh zoom just like everybody else so they're they're real people all right here we go keith Foskey, introduce yourself Yes, sir. I am Keith Foskey. I'm the reigning king of the amillennialists, and I'm also the pastor of Sovereign Grace Family Church in Jacksonville, Florida, where I have served for the past 16, going on 17 years now as their pastor. Very good. And Pastor Doug, introduce yourself, please. My name is Doug Wilson. I'm the pastor of Christ Church. We're in the panhandle of Idaho. Uh, Idaho, like Florida, has a panhandle. So, and uh and I'm in it. So I've been the pastor of been the pastor of Christ Church since 1977. Uh, so the saints here are long-suffering saints. They they know what it is to go through the furnace of affliction, and um, and so that's what I do. I write and uh, and preach. That's my day job. All right. So all right. So we did miss the introduction of the moderator, as you can see with the electric guitars behind him. He is the music guy for James White's podcast. So that's why you would know who he is. So he is going to be asking questions and let's let's keep going. How are we doing, Pastor Michael? Great. Yeah, the video itself is pretty laggy. I again, yep. I never know how much of this comes across on the stream and I don't often rewatch everything. Uh, yep. but I don't know if that's just how it is. That's the thing we can't fix their the video being a little bit strange so all right here we go first of all your highness your liege let's start with this king keith why don't you explain what your eschatological position is and why you hold to that specific position well very quickly um I began my uh, eschatological journey as a dispensational premillennialist because I did come up in the 90s, and there was a very famous set of books that came out in the late 90s, early 2000s called the Left Behind series. And when I went to seminary, I was taught dispensational premillennialism, and I was told if I did not hold to that position, they hoped that I would get left behind. So there was some pretty strong feelings <laughs> about it. Uh, but over time, having examined the different positions, I have uh, settled quite comfortably as an amillennialist. Some might say an optimistic amillennialist. We might find that uh, Pastor Doug and I may not differ on as many things as we may think, but I do know there are at least a few differences. So that's how I got to where I am just through a series of studies and teaching and uh, having been challenged in different areas. All right. Thank you. In other words, the Bible. Amen. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, Pastor Doug. Let me begin by saying that the pilgrimage from dispensationalism to amillennialism, I would consider a serious upgrade. So I'm uh, appreciative of that. And then when you qualify amillennialism with optimistic amillennialism, we have to be careful lest we wind up ruining the whole debate by agreeing too much. So Amen. Uh, I became a post-millennialist uh, reluctantly uh, at first and then enthusiastically uh, later. I, I was a pre generic pre-mill, never dispensational, but generic pre-mill simply because I was a Christian in North America. And I couldn't get it to come out of the text over reading and rereading. So I have, I was a pastor by this time, and so I abandoned every eschatological position I knew of. And I all I would say when people ask me, I'd say, look, Jesus is coming again. Don't push me. That, <laughs> that, and that would be that would be something that where we would have a point of agreement. Uh, Jesus is coming again. So yeah. I knew that Christ was coming again, but I didn't have any idea. And I was a non-millennialist. Uh, for probably two or three years. And one day, the penny dropped. And, uh, and I was reading a book that had a, the hermeneutic was a little bit gaudy for me, and I wasn't really my jam. Um, but while I was reading that book, he, uh, the author quoted 1 Corinthians 15, for he must reign until he put all his enemies under his feet. And something snapped in my head. And uh, a full-fledged eschatological worldview assembled in my head over a very short space of time, like one of those transformer thingies in a, in a movie. <laughs> and it was yeah. that was exhilarating and loads of fun. So um, that that's one reason I'm a post millennialist is that progress. Also, as I was, uh, I did I did uh, prepare for this debate. Uh, a few minutes ago, I looked up amillennialism on Wikipedia, um, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I'm here to tell you that it says amillennialism is a chilagoristic eschatological position. Chilagoristic. Chilagoristic. And I'm sorry, I just couldn't be a, an adherent of a chilagoristic <laughs> position. I, how would I defend that? <laughs> All right. Well, they're hanging loose and cracking wise too, Pastor Michael. <laughs> just like we are. So let's 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 each of us do the exact same thing they just did. Someone asked if we were watching that at like two x speed. No, Keith was indeed just speaking that quickly. Um, so should we go in the same order they did? The amillennial. Let's person? do it. Okay. Tell us, Matt. So and and you have to say uh, the the variety of eschatological positions you've held if you've held other ones so i was raised in a evangelical um which at the time in the 90s meant basically dispensational premillennial though i would have not known it as dispensational but left behind traditional view well not traditional view traditional view of the 90s view of the rapture uh all of those things and i um had a humongous struggle when I, you know, we would talk in the church and we talk about, we need to, you know, we need to really treat the Bible um, very seriously. We need to believe it no matter what it says. 
Um, you know, and they talked about literal, literal, right? They'd always say literal, literal. And then they would get this part where they'd say like, you know, and in, in this generation, Jesus will return. And they would say, and that literally means generation, which refers to all humankind that will ever live. And, and, uh, or, and all of you standing here refer to all of Jesus's disciples that will one day stand around him when he returns. And I had this problem. <laughs> <laughs> like what we might call special pleading. Um, and so I kind of ignored it. Um, in the Young Restless Reform, there was a pretty big subculture of post-millennialism, which pulled me in hard. And I became what I would call a fairly convincing post-millennial young man. Um, and about three years ago, I finally admitted to everyone, I am now an unconvincing amillennial <laughs> Uh, but that's not your fault that's just part of being a believer in amillennialism that's that's all it is and the main reason is is because the passage of scripture in revelation that refers to the millennium when we harmonize that with other texts about the end of the world i cannot see any reason to differentiate the millennium from the moment christ returns to when he will come back and that there are no other eschatological events that need to happen um and so that uh that though that exegesis leaves me as an amil and i'm very happy to be here um even though i know i uh i may never be as convincing as i once was yeah yeah or as fun you just you just have to you just have to be okay with that, uh, just not being as fun. Um, so uh, I, you know, dare I say, like, you know, Keith Fossey says he's an optimistic amillennialist, which is sometimes uh, used. Uh, maybe it could be said that I am a, a post-millennialist that really likes amillennialists. We had a great conversation once about this uh, on on the uh, Patreon uh, and so I think it was for a purely Presbyterian. We discussed this at length one time. And right from the start, we can say we actually agree more or less, I think, um, with the interpretation of Revelation 20. We agree across the board on a lot of things. Um, but I do think that mo most often today, postmillennialism, though it gets its name from, uh, from Revelation 20, um, designates something different than simply uh, whether or not, uh, basically how you interpret revelation 20. I think it's, it's a little bit more expansive than that. Um, but so I fell into post-millennialism, um, you know, much the same as you, uh, at least, uh, somewhat, maybe it was a little bit later. Um, so I, I also, uh, was raised in a, you know, in, in a home and in a church culture where like, it was just, there was a kind of, pre-millennialism that was assumed. Um, I would say that there was a strong current in the, the evangelical culture of our time, like you said, of dispensationalism. I couldn't have told you what that is, um, but I could tell you that it's what was being taught me. Um, I really came into uh, my faith, right, as I began to take it on uh, to myself as opposed to just having been raised in it. Um, I came into that in pretty charismatic circles. Uh, and in those circles, there was a kind of dispensationalism, but it was 
it was pretty heavily um, tweaked with other ways of viewing prophecy and the idea of being, you know, part of the end times generation and that the Holy Spirit would be poured out like latter rain uh, from from uh, the prophet Joel and that it would, you know, it would mean that basically young people uh, who attend the International House of Prayer would rise up and and take over the world in the spirit of God. And, and, and it was just a little bit confused and silly. Um, and uh, anyway, so that that was just all around me. And I still have probably somewhere um, Bible. So I'm, I'm somebody that writes in the margin of my Bible. Sorry if that bothers some people. Um, I'm not actually sorry. But I have a Bible somewhere where I just... I have just pages of notes scrolling from uh, Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse and just like trying to work out how this all fits together with everything I've been told and, and everything I've been taught. And basically, I just as I continue to read the Bible, I just became, I don't know, disenfranchised with it, with with the eschatology I had been given. Um, but not necessarily finding anything else. I, and I didn't necessarily go looking either. Like I, I would have just said, yeah, I'm a premillennialist. Um, I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, but I, like, I just don't, I, I just didn't maybe think about it a ton. But I just became really discontent um, as I continue to read scripture and continue to see the way that scripture speaks, the way that the New Testament uh, seems to be fulfilling so many Old Testament passages that I was told were about something that was yet to come a long way away. Um, and actually, I, I don't know, this is not where I, I uh, maybe became post-millennialist uh, completely, but one of the first times I ever heard a different interpretation than a, a pre-millennial interpretation of, for instance, the Olivet Discourse was a tiny little clip in the middle of the documentary Collision, if you remember this. So this was with Doug Wilson, who's on this debate now, and Peter, uh, not Peter Hitchens, uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, notable atheist uh, who's now passed away. But um, they would, they, it was just a video of them debating. And I think maybe either the Gospel Coalition or Tim Challies at the time linked to this debate where you could watch it free online. And I watched this. I know nobody would link that kind of stuff today. Like no, nobody's linking Doug Wilson today, but it was a different time back yes. in the earlier days of the YRR. <laughs> uh, and there's just a tiny clip in, in the midst of this debate uh, where Christopher Hitchens says, you know, look, Jesus said that he was going to return within a generation with, you know, uh, within the generation that he was speaking to. And he didn't. And so he was wrong, right? He got something wrong. And uh, Doug Wilson just says, no, he did return in judgment on Jerusalem in 70 AD and then moved on. Like that was it. That was all that, like there was nothing else said about this. I don't remember it anyway. And I was just like, wait a minute. There's like, there are other ways that people interpret this passage. Um, and that led me more to, I mean, at the time I, I had begun to hear a lot of R.C. Sproul um, that led me to uh, Keith Matheson and his book on postmillennialism. Uh, I think it's called just called Postmillennialism, uh, an Eschatology of Hope. And it was super helpful, super helpful for me. Um, and so that's really how I, I started, at least what I'd say, started down the, the rabbit hole of postmillennialism. Great. 
maybe someday you'll get me back. But let's go back to this debate and uh, and and try and watch a little more. Obviously, I don't think they either of them said anything. You know, they just kind of said what you and I said about them. They're just smiling themselves. and having fun. That's right. <laughs> I don't think I could spell it. So, I, <laughs> yeah, I can't fathom it. Yeah. So, in other words, the Bible. Yes, the Bible. I, yeah. Why am I a post-millennialist? Well, I decided when I was well into my Christian life and I was into my ministry, I decided that, you know, I really ought to believe the promises of God. I think that I should do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's a, that, the, best. It's the best way. Well, when, when the king makes a promise, then us much lower potentates and poobahs should say amen, yes and amen. As, uh, Go ahead. So go when ahead. you say, like the king of the, the Amils and all this other stuff, uh, in the challenge video, uh, Keith basically said post-mill was fancy amillennialism. Does that make amillennialism shabby chic post-millennialism? <laughs> Well, I, I'll say this. But I, I did look for a pair of overalls. Uh, it's hard to find them in, in, in 3X. I'm a big guy. So find, finding a pair of overalls. I, but I, I, I tried. I was hoping you'd wear a sweater vest. I, I was I actually almost emailed you to ask what you were going to wear so I could look the same. You know, I, I pretend to be you in so many so many uh, yeah. forms. Now. I'm, the, I'm the Harbor Freight version of Doug Wilson. So, yeah. well, well, By the way, um, I, I will come back to the branding of amillennialism. We're going to go with uh, amillennialism is a blue collar post-millennialism. That is going to be, <laughs> that is going to be the branding we, we self-adopt. Uh, maybe Keith will see or hear this. I'd like to be the admiral. There's, there's of- no way between the two. Amillennialism is blue collar. Dude, it is, it is the theology of, of uh, you know, theology nerds. Currently today, postmillennialism is the theology of the blue collar man. So Keith is actually in our live chat. Keith, do you just let he me is. know if I if I can be an admiral in the in the Amil army? I do not the <laughs> the title of of king, but I would like to be I'd like to be in the Amil army. So let's let's watch uh, as they get to some more of these questions here. One can aspire, can't one? <laughs> I haven't I haven't brought. You know, I've never smoked. I don't ever smoke. This is I, I'm like the um, I'm like my my cigars are like Joel Osteen's Salvation. It's just not real. Uh, so <laughs> that's oh, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. So let's continue with the next question. Uh, uh, King Keith, in your mind, why are you so disagreeable to post millennialism? In other words, what do you disagree with? Well, some people might say that the debate is unnecessary because, in a sense, we are both post-millennial. We both believe that Christ will return to consummate the millennium and 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 inaugurate the eternal state. Um, and we both believe that the millennium is not a literal thousand years. At least I think that's the position that that uh, yep. Brother Doug would hold. So, uh, in that sense, we're both post-millennial and amillennial. So, uh, so I, I guess we both win. We can both put on our crowns and go have a scotch. But, but obviously the differences are there. Uh, I think that um, probably the the place where you hear the most difference is in regard to the optimism. Sometimes postmillennialists are are incurably optimistic in the idea that everything is going to become 
Christianized. We, we hear a lot of terms being thrown around today. I know Brother Doug wrote a book about Christendom, uh, mere Christendom. And so the idea that there's going to be this flourishing of Christianity, not only in the souls of men, but also in the, in the culture and in the, uh, na- in the national governments of the world. And we're going to see this, this overtaking. And uh, most amillennialists would not expect so much. Uh, they might expect that the gospel is going to go out into the world, and we might call that a revivalistic version of postmillennialism, where the gospel is going to go out and people are going to be saved, but not a necessarily that the entire culture of the world is going to be transformed in a more of a reconstructionist view, I would say, is the postmillennial view. And, and so our, our differences is probably what we expect. And I think another important difference is possibly on the issue of the imminency of Christ's return. If there is an expectation that these things are going to take place, does that mean that the the that that Christ's return is is not something that we should be considering an imminent possibility? And therefore, do we run the risk of becoming like the the virgins who's who were, did not have the oil prepared for the return of the bridegroom? So those so those are those are the concerns I would I would raise in in that regard. All right, Pastor Michael, I think it is only fair to let you respond to Keith's problems and then I will um I will come I'll come back to either my problems or where I'm in agreement or disagreement with him uh if yeah. it's relevant after you answer. Yeah, so I mean really what he said was more so just here here's where some of the differences really show up, right? So sure. some of the yep. differences. Um, and I would probably um, like this is the the difficulty is um, and I know people don't like when I say this, but um, these positions have come, especially in the Internet age, to represent a lot of a lot more than simply, for instance, what Revelation 20 is talking about or or other things. Right. It's um, it, it comes with a lot of of uh, different baggage and ideas. Um, some of which I like, some of which I probably don't. And I'm, you know, I would consider myself post-millennial, um, but maybe in what he called a revivalistic post-millennial or, uh, you know, a post-millennialism that um, sees the promises in scripture as being fulfilled um, through the proclamation of the gospel, right? So I, I don't believe that, you know, um, a, a kind of cultural transformation is the means by which the kingdom of God goes forth. Um, And I do think that that's an important distinction. I do believe that there's inevitable cultural transformation as God changes hearts and sanctifies men and sanctifies homes. Thus he sanctifies uh, cultures. And so I I do think that that is something that we should say. So um, as far as that, okay, so what we expect, I think that's true. I think think that one of the differences uh, between the two positions is along the lines of what is expected to happen, what do we expect to actually occur in history? Um, and uh, then when he talks about the, the imminent return of Christ, this is, I think, a little bit more um, tricky because it gets you into the specific texts within the New Testament that talk about the return of Christ. And I think it's important to distinguish what actually they're talking about where they're actually talking about the final return of christ and when they're not um i i I think that when we talk about the imminent return of christ and what scripture speaks to as far as um what what are you to do if like uh 
what does your life look like in light of these things? I think most of the time that people speak of the places where um, it speaks of the the imminent return of Christ, um, they're mistaking um, what the text is actually talking about, but not in such a way that it doesn't have any kind of, you know, true, uh, meaningful importance or relevance to us. Um, simply that the New Testament, like the Old Testament, is written to people in a particular context at a particular time in history when a particular part of God's redemptive plan is being worked out. Um, and uh, it's it's not necessarily written to us right now directly, um, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is for us because it's for um, all of the people of God. And so um, what we do in interpreting those things is uh, we interpret them like we interpret the whole rest of the Bible. And what I love about so many of the passages where it speaks about the, the coming of Christ, uh, um, where, where uh, when Christ is going to return, is we're explicitly told not to um, think that we're going to know the exact the exact moment that, that we can anticipate um, the hour of, of his return, uh, but we're told to live lives that would reflect him that whenever he returns, um, we're not going to be shocked, right? Like we live the kind of lives and holy lives that, that reflect the glory of Christ so that when he comes in all of his glory, um, it's not, go it's not a, a shock. Um, and whether that be, uh, you know, uh, sudden really soon, which I don't think on a practical level, any of us actually think is going to happen. Um, I, I don't think, you know, anybody, um, at least within the reform world, within the, the typical amillennial or, or post-millennial milieu thinks that's going to happen any minute now, um, I, I, you know, a, a hyper kind of imminence. Um, but either way, I think it we're still taught what kind of lives we are to live. So anyway, I, I do think that there are there are differences there. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what you heard there as well. Yeah, I think, so I will explain, I think the bind that, um, Keith is in and he's put there by popular post-millennialists, uh, like Doug Wilson. Um, probably if you are listening in the sound of my voice, um, I'm going to play, I'm going to mind read, which you should never do. Um, the thing that actually I think most people are attracted to about postmillennialism is that it is a theology of Christ and culture, and it is not an end times theology, yep. which to me then means go get a better theology of Christ and culture and leave end times theology to those of us trying to read the book of Revelation, which are <laughs> so I and so I do think that's truly a blame because let us have fun, Matt. Because the things, right, he was trying to describe, even with his, what do I expect to happen in culture? I probably don't agree with him on a lot of what he expects in culture. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you read, um, we'll have to have one of our Dutch friends come on or honorary Dutch friends come on and talk to about Kuiper, who notable amillennialist. But when everyone's like, no, he said Jesus has authority over every square inch. Isn't that the like... No, that's not a post-millennialist belief. That's just a... It is now. We've yeah. officially taken it. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I just... what, what it is, is there's this there's a theology of Christ and culture that I think has a renaissance right now that it, 
attaches itself to an end times theology that I don't think is actually that related. So I think that's the that's one of the things he's trying to respond to. Um, I think the I think problematically, I do think the biggest thing he brings up, and I think it is the best thing. And I have my own questions, which we talked about in our um, in our the things that kind of pushed me over the edge in our discussion, which I'll bring up if they're relevant. Um, you can go find again, Michael and I did an hour on each of our views together and they were great conversations. Um, I do think this, the problem of imminency, pastor Michael said, you know, no one really thinks Christ is coming back in a moment. The, the difference is in principle, of course, like he can. And like the, the, the question is, um, of imminency is, can we, do we lose it? Right. Um, is it as it was in the days of Noah? Um, and how does that affect the church's continued spiritual mission in the world? But I think the the big thing, again, like Pastor Michael and I are both very happy with both of these positions, right? So even though you're going to hear us sound like we're disagreeing sharply, what I hope you can learn is that unlike the TGC debates, we can, the disagreement is actually in a is actually a show of respect and enjoyment of a real conversation um and how we actually can make things better than like the end of the space-time continuum right so i think the biggest problem with um how a lot of the exegesis ends up working in post-millennialism uh it requires a preterist reading of virtually the the majority of the new testament and it's not that all of those readings are wrong i i would certainly be convinced of a number of them that and by preterist i mean the prophecies about christ's judgment or potentially even return were at least partially fulfilled in the fall of jerusalem now i think some of those are very convincing i think for example when they say when is this when will the things happen to this temple very convincing that Jesus is going to give them a direct answer <laughs> right. about the temple they're standing in front of. The problem, I think, is that all of those readings, including the one I just mentioned, could be wrong. And so I think if the the end times and the and the negation of imminency and the negation of a lot of these things comes down to a a reading of the fall of Jerusalem that way into everything. I do think um, that is the actual danger is that you're going to overread this historical event into the new Testament in a way that will, that will actually be a problem for your exegesis. Like if you wanted to, again, that's me saying what's the biggest potential problem. Yeah. Because again, I was also a very convincing partial preterist. And this is what I was doing is I was always pointing out how all of this could easily should apply there. And it's when I began to look at the epistolary literature that was removed from the immediate Jerusalem context. Mm -hmm. And it was in those places where I started to realize that I think I was starting to cheat um, for the sake of my for the sake of my commitments. So, Pastor Michael, I assume they're going to ask, do you want to respond before we let, I assume they're about to ask Doug the exact same question about amillennialism. Yeah. Um, do you want to respond yeah. to anything? That before yeah, well, I... I'll just say, so I, I think it's super helpful, by the way, and we've talked about this, and I've said, I, like, one of the things I wish there was more of is 
actual and i i mean this is obviously kind of a fun debate it's just a couple guys having fun um like this video that we're watching yeah Uh, but i do want more like academic level um debates between post-millennials and amillennialists if you go online and start looking for debates about eschatology it's almost always somebody against dispensationalism <laughs> like that's it it's just all you'll find and god bless them like that's i think that's necessary and good we got to put what? a nail in the coffin what was that we have to put a nail in that coffin it's yeah just- like it's i think it's done i it not i mean i know that they're still out there but it doesn't seem near as relevant at least in the circles that i run in um maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong but i think that that's that's pretty well uh, pretty well done. Yeah, leave leave the end times alone. Um, so, so anyway, I think this is super important and and good and healthy. I think you're right that by and large uh, we will agree. But I do think this is one of the the places that I think it's it's very important to me um, that somebody be post millennialist because it does come down to the interpretation of scripture. And my worry a lot of times um, with various kinds of amillennialism, because I know that there are different shades and, and differences of interpretation and hermeneutic at different points. Uh, one of my concerns is that um, we look uh, at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in a way that does not actually give it the importance in history that it has. Um, and, and my worry sometimes is that that so much uh, of, you know, there's almost like a, you know, please don't take this wrong. And I don't believe you do this at all, by the way, you know, so this is not me, by the way, t- attacking Matt. Uh, but I, I have seen where um, within certain kinds of amillennialism, there's like a everything that Christ did in his death, burial and resurrection is basically on hold. Um, I think that it's basically the, the uh, you know, a lot of times it is the same kind of of theological disposition that says well because we are totally depraved it means that there's not really going to be sanctification in our lives on an individual level i think that's what's happening on an eschatological level in a lot of amillennialism and that concerns me and so that's that's where i you know where i do think these like the hermeneutical issues are so important because i want the death burial and resurrection of christ to actually stay as the central uh, part uh, of all of history and his ascension. Great. Let's see if that is Doug Wilson's primary problem. Uh, so uh, let me begin by addressing the question of the imminent return. Of- oh, okay. Sorry. He's going to respond to Keith first, I guess. Yeah. The Lord. Um, this is one of those things where Jesus said emphatically, no man knows the day or the hour. Sure. And so I don't want to pretend that I do. Um, that I do know the day or the hour, but if I were a betting man, what would it, would I do? I anticipate lots of history ahead. Um, yes, I do. yes I do. Uh, I think that if we are thinking culturally, thinking about engaging with culture and building institutions, planting churches, that sort of thing, you can't do it or can't do it consistently if you think that it's all going to burn tomorrow. Right now, having said that, I'm not opposed, as I heard, uh, I heard uh, R.J. Rushduni once say that he's not 
just a quick pause for a Voldemort alert. If, uh, <laughs> if you have sensitive ears, you may want to shield them from a RJ Rush Dooney quote. Just, just, just because we're we're hanging loose and cracking one. Not opposed to changing his theology in midair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Right. So, um, of course, the Lord, the Lord is the Lord of history, and He can disrupt all our calculations but i think if we're if i'm planning for a century out or five centuries out and praying and laboring for that um for any christian who's doing that an imminent return of christ would be a pleasant surprise be, oh okay um right who's gonna who's you're going back, to object you're back early <laughs> sorry yeah, yeah so can you just um, can you just no, wait a couple minutes because we were doing this yeah yeah, we were trying to evangelize the world, but hold on, hold on. <laughs> um, that that would just be dumb and stupid. Yeah. So I think it's it's best to have a long term uh, faith commitment where you, where we're going to uh, seek to disciple the nations long term. I think it's going to take a while, but if the Lord said no, I think you were uh, you'd gotten more done than I than we thought we had gotten done, and He returned. That's not a that's not a bad thing at all. I mean, it's the Lord coming. It's the Lord coming again. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, when you when you say optimistic, Amil, I would want to ask optimistic about what? Okay, optimistic oh. about what? If you're simply saying optimistic about the opportunity of salvation to everyone who believes, uh, then pre mills, dispensationalists, post mills, amils, all are optimistic in exactly the same way. Okay, we we all believe that if someone believes in Jesus and repents of his sins and calls on the Lord, he will be saved. If that's the extent of our optimism, then we agree. But I would want the optimism to leak out more. I don't see how there's any way for a large number of people to be converted and not have that transform the world around them. Uh, business becomes more industrious, more honest. Uh, Wilberforce gets the slave trade abolished. Uh, things start to happen outside of our hearts, outside of our minds. And that, that kind of cultural engagement, I think, is what we mean when we talk about optimistic eschatology. Of course, it has to start with the forgiveness of sin and the transformation of individual sinners. That's the place where Ezekiel's living water starts to flow from. But I just think it gets farther than the threshold. All right. So we're going to pause there. I don't know if they're going to do the thing for uh, Mr. Doug Wilson uh, that they did for Keith. We'll find out. They're having a freewheeling conversation and so are we. So um, again, let's note for um, that Doug Wilson's concerns are primarily regarding consistent cultural engagement and i'm going to say this again this is a theology of christ and culture looking for an end times theology um and and so again i think I, my spiciest take is that um that post-millennialism may have the best branding but it doesn't have the best exegesis that's that's my spiciest take um now, no, this is a problem because it does start from the the eschatological point of view, right? What 
where are things heading? What what do the promises of God throughout Scripture point to? Do they point to um, something that is a, a kind of kingdom that starts and looks like it's doing really well, and then it slowly fizzles out and dies as the Antichrist rises, or something like that? Right? That it does start from that framework of wait, no, what what do the promises of God throughout Scripture? teach us about the nature of the kingdom uh when christ returns where where it's going uh that's it's that is the the vantage point you know right um so i think that yeah so the the two things one right when he talked would you agree with his position on the eminency of christ which evidently he adopted from the voldemort of the world rush dooney <laughs> uh just yeah i mean sure in the sense that like yeah if like if Christ returns tomorrow, I, I like. I think that all of Scripture uh, would teach us how we should be living, whether Christ is going to be coming right away tomorrow or not. Right? Like, I if He's going to show up this moment, I want to be in a place where I'm ready for that. In, in that sense, um, but I, you know, so I, as far as that goes, yeah, I guess I I would agree with that much. Yeah. Okay. Because. There are two things about that statement. One, right, he said, if I'm betting, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, and I think that there are, one, a bet is not exegesis. That is your estimation of the world around you. But two, the the thing that I think it, it sacrifices in principle is the thing that would actually make like this for me was one of the things that was the death knell of my post-millennialism is that means there is no more eschatological events that have to occur before Christ returns, which means there isn't a millennium I'm waiting for to happen that we're, that it's going to be after, right. That we're just talking about the church age. Um, and right. And so, and obviously the, the statement he made is that, well, but the problem is, the consistency of if I know Christ was coming back tomorrow, well, then I'm just going to let this sucker burn. You're, you know, you're, you're polishing brass on the Titanic. John J Max famous quote about this. I actually agree with Martin Luther on this one. And I do think this is a place where we need to embrace what the Lutheran tension where Luther was asked, what would you do? Or potentially apocryphally as everything, everything Martin Luther said, potentially he didn't say including here i stand i can do that <laughs> right always, there's always another historical perspective right he was asked um what would you do if you knew christ was returning tomorrow and he said i'd plant a tree right his his mindset of this need to actually just keep acting in the world in a way because he would believe it would matter into eternity he plants a tree christ returns tomorrow this sapling matters in eternity I think that is the mindset everyone should have today. If Christ hasn't returned in 10,000 years, they should be doing that in their family, in whatever institutions they might be in, whatever trees they might be able to plant by becoming the highest level of restless patron. Um, I think all of those things, I don't think it's necessarily inconsistent. And I will tell you, I think the thing that ultimately freed me, I felt free, Pastor Michael, when I was freed from this post-millennialism, is when I realized <laughs> a theology of Christ and culture, a theology of Christian civilization, 
did not have to be tied to an end times theology. It could be tied to the two kingdoms. It could be tied to the way God has made the world to work and how we expect how we should act in a world created by God as heaven and earth have been reunited in Christ. And that now what we should do institutionally, governmentally, personally, familially, you know, whatever else we should seek to honor Christ in all of those things. And that that required no end times commitment on my part. And that, that that was actually for me quite freeing, right? When I, yeah. when I came to understand this, that this is the, the work people are talking about post-millennialism doing culturally. I basically think, and I could be wrong, historically in the Reformed Church, this is why Abraham Kuyper and all these people who, Abraham Kuyper has done the most reconstruction-y thing possible and was not post-millennial in the current recognizable state, right. was because the two kingdoms um, or what he called spheres of sovereignty did the work this eschatology did. And so for me, they were at that moment, they were disconnected and I left the farm and now I'm, you know, I'm out doing, I'm out doing this unconvincing thing out here talking about revelation. Um, so, um, but yeah, that would, those would, that would be my response to kind of what I see him talking about with this, the issue of imminency, um, and and what I mean, how that undoes postmillennialism. Not that you know it necessitates a prediction of when Christ returns, mm -hmm. but what it's saying is there's no more eschatology. And then why my cultural, my theology of Christ and culture is not tied to um, this end time, an end times view. Yeah. Great. Do you want to respond to that, or should we go back into it? Oh, I mean, I guess go back into it. Yeah, I, so we've, we've talked about this more at length, again, on our Patreon, um, and we'll maybe get into it more a, as we move forward. Uh, but, but yeah, let's keep going. Well, I, I, would, I would agree in the sense that the gospel, when it goes out and it changes hearts, it does change the world around it. We can, it can't help but do that because changed men change the, the world around them. So I absolutely have no issue with that. I think where I may have some trouble is, is when we see the gospel going in the, in the parables, you know, the mustard seed and others as they're growing, um, that, that is true. Even Daniel's, uh, you know, the stone cut without hands, uh, hitting the feet of the of the Colossus, and and we we would see that as the gospel, you know, uh, growing. I, I assume that's your understanding of it. I, 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 yeah, it grows and fills fills the whole earth. Yes, I I, I agree. <laughs> but um, the 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 it's the existence of and and continued purpose continued survival of those who are opposed to Christ. And, and I think of the parable of the wheat, wheats and the tares in that yeah. the, the, yes, there's going to be wheat. Yes, there's going to be growth. And yes, that is going to change culture, but I don't see it as something that is, uh, that, that is going to be so wholesale that there doesn't still have an existence of those who are, are in opposition to it. And, and, and that there aren't those still in the world who are going to suffer for it. I think about uh, Romans chapter eight, which tells us that, that those who are fellow heirs with Christ will suffer with him. And therefore, <laughs> Does that does that promise not, or does that truth not apply to those who are in the in the later part of the millennium where this Christi Christendom has has filled the earth? Is is there still not a, a sense in which there will be suffering? Is there still not a sense in which there's going to be evil in the world? Will that be wholesale 
abolished. That 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 would be a, a so it's not that I don't see Christendom growing. I see with the wheats and the tares, both are growing together until the harvest, which Christ says is the end of the age. So, Pastor Michael, do you want to respond to that? I think Doug Wilson is about to, but do you want to do you want to give an answer to that question before we go uh, on? Yeah, I, so um, there there are a few different ways that I might uh, go with this sort of thing, um, but the again maybe most central is um, with the the nature of sanctification in the life of a believer. You think about what it's like, right? What is it like when the Holy Spirit takes hold of somebody and transforms them into the likeness of Christ? Uh, what what is that experience like? Um, it's not an overnight, you know, full change where they no longer have, uh, you know, the, the flesh clinging on. Um, the flesh continues to cling on. In fact, continues until death, right? So um, continues until the very end. And yet uh, we have the expectation that somebody uh, who has truly come to know Christ will over time experience victory over sin, will experience more closeness to Christ. Um, as they do that, they recognize the, the wickedness of their sin all the more. So every godly older man or woman that I've ever met has said um, that they like reckon, like they're more saddened by their sin. They're more grieved by their sin um, than ever, right? Uh, even, even in older age, even though they've been walking with Christ for, for some long time. Um, on, an, on a, you know, uh, on a certain level from the outside, you would say, well, but like they're clearly not uh, controlled by their passions or lusts of the flesh like they were once, right? Like those things have changed. Um, and yet sin does still cling on. Um, and I think that uh, very often the the way that the nature of the kingdom is spoken of in in scripture is is much like this, right? It's this this is the the nature of the kingdom. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know anybody, I guess, who believes in like a wholesale, um, like a post-millennialism that says the whole world is just like every piece of it will be perfected by time Christ returns. Um, you know, and I don't think that scripture speaks to any kind of, you know, uh, exact nature of, you know, okay, well, what the, what's the mixture going to be of believers versus unbelievers? Uh, but the picture painted time and time again is one of, of a, a significant, uh, you know, outworking of the gospel where multitudes uh, are discipled um, and that that does transform things outside of them. And, uh, you know, maybe one way to even just think about this question of, well, doesn't it like you know, again, there's places where we're told that, you know, we're going to suffer with Christ. We have to, we have to, to bear the cross. Uh, but there are plenty of Christians who have lived their whole lives and died um, not facing the kind of persecution the early church suffered, um, not facing even overt, overt suffering uh, for their faith, right? Like as as a persecuted minority or as sojourners and strangers or, or something like that. There are plenty of people that grew up uh, throughout 
especially European history in a Christian context with Christian families, Christian government, and died that way, right? Uh, and so we don't want to take the, the passages of Scripture where it speaks about suffering and make it really specific to what that looks like. Um, but each of us knows, ex- I mean, there's, because we still have the flesh, there's still an element uh, of suffering that comes with simply being in this life. The, the very nature of death, right? The very nature of of still having to die, still having to see everybody that you love die all around you. Um, this, this itself is a kind of suffering that's in this world and will be until Christ returns, right? That's, that is explicitly uh, told to us in scripture that death is the last enemy, right? Death is no more when he returns uh, and we are resurrected to newness of life. And so anyway, I just, the idea that there's suffering or there's unbelievers or something like that, I, I don't see how that would uh, in some way outweigh the promises of God about the nature of the kingdom, such as the, the nature of the kingdom being like this uncut stone that fills the whole earth, like the, the promise that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like water covers the sea, etc. Right. Yes, I believe that that those things will happen. I also think for the individual Christian, you are just as likely to be born in a time of a, we'll just say, a more faithful Christian church and even potentially society and one under judgment. And God's purposes of election, blessing and judgment will continue as they have till the end of time. Um and and perhaps that you could call it cyclical in that way. Um, I don't know if that was all I was going to add to that, but yeah, that 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 is basically um, that's basically what I'll say. I, I Doug Wilson will respond now, and we'll so we'll let them uh, we'll let them keep going. Doug, yeah. So um, with response responding to both of those things, I would say that yes, there will be holdouts all the way all the way to the uh, end. Uh, I don't think post-millennialism requires us to believe 100% of all the people alive for millennia uh, will all be true believers. I believe that there will be infidels and people who reject and, you know, just stubborn, uh, stubborn sort. So that uh, the, the presence of uh, tares in the wheat does not present a problem with, to the post-millennialist, we just want to say, look, it's a wheat field. It's not a, it's not a tear field. Okay. It's a wheat field and there are tears in it. Great. Jesus told us to expect that. Uh, with regard to the question about affliction and trusting the Lord, um, uh, I believe that every Christian right up to the very end is going to have to trust the Lord with things that are a weight and, and an affliction and a grief to him. It says in Isaiah that a man will, who dies at 100 will be considered accursed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Man, everybody's looking around. Well, man, what did he do? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there will be saints, let's say, let's pick that guy. There will be saints at that time who have to go to that guy's funeral. That man will have daughters. That man will be diagnosed with a, a, a terminal terminal disease and have to depart uh, when he's 100 instead of 300 like everybody else. You know, um, there there will be grief, there will be heartache, there will be things that we have to trust the Lord 
four. And one of the things that I think that we have to come to grips with, and this seems like a, uh, you've probably heard the joke uh, about first world problems, you know. Um, yes. So you've got somebody living in a cardboard box under a bridge in Manila somewhere, and he's going to define a good day and a bad day very differently than we would, right? We're we're having a bad day because the air conditioner on our car went out, and uh, and now now I'm going to have to take it to the shop, and they're going to fix it, and it's going to take two days instead of one day, and I've got first world problems. Yeah. But all of us know what it's like to stumble over those sorts of problems, and we have to learn how to trust the Lord for, for those problems. And we're all still going to die. Um, so, so everybody has to cross the Jordan River, whether they're living in 50 AD or 5000 AD. We're, we're all going to have to give it up to God. So I think, I think that all the lessons that the New Testament teaches us that we should have to learn in this life, which is a veil of tears, I think it remains a veil of tears even when times are comparatively speaking good. Pastor Michael, do you have those post mill problems? Are those the kind of problems you face in your life? <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. I will say, very similar answer, actually. Um, very, very similar to what I said. Yeah, let this me, is. Let can me... I just say too? I so part of the, my problem with the whole idea of just yeah, things are going to continue as they are. Um, you know, there's just this kind of cyclical nature of things. Uh, there's kind of you know maybe the kingdom will rise and then it will kind of you know decline. The kingdom of this world will grow and then it'll kind of go back and forth. And then at some point, Christ returns and destroys it all and and uh, does it different. Um, is I just don't think that that is what you i mean i so i mean on the hermeneutical level right i mean i i don't think that's what you find in the the promises like the explicit statements and promises uh, of what the nature of the coming kingdom was going to be like uh, of of what is expected uh, but also i just don't think um that this is the the nature of it i don't think it's consistent with the nature of god as we find it in scripture right that that um the way that uh, God has presented himself to us in scripture um, is, is not that the way that he worked in the Old Testament uh, with a, a small sojourning group of people is how he's going to work forever. Um, I actually think that uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, he is continually promising uh, that he is at work in such a way that when the redeemer comes when his kingdom comes um it is it is going to be uh substantially different not different in terms of its you know its uh its nature but definitely different in terms of its efficacy in the world and so uh anyway i it i think that it doesn't uh take into account um the the i, it, I think that it uh, is not consistent with the nature of God. And I know that sounds like a huge claim. I, you know, I don't want to, I'm not saying that you don't know God, 
I'm not saying that all millennialists don't know God. Uh, the vast majority of, of my Reformed brethren and fathers in the faith who have gone before me um, have been all millennialists as far as I know. And so that's what I, what I think anyway. I don't actually know the history. I just assume that. And so I'm not saying that out of some kind of desire to be provocative or 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 something like that. But uh, but I do think that that actually is the case. Also, if you are still hanging with us right now is your time to submit a question in the live chat. Um, we have about 12 minutes left of this video. I don't know that we're going to get to it, but please right now, if you have a question for Michael or I, um, and if your question for me is why, why don't, why are you the way that you are? You can ask that too, but uh, if you have, why can't you just be normal? <laughs> that's okay. But, I think that this this makes me want to answer kind of two uh, two questions, and I think we'll just do the rest of this because uh, we'll enjoy it. We'll we'll watch the rest of this next time, just like the good faith debates where we uh, where we, where we find a way to get through it. So um, I think the two things this makes me want to bring up is why do so many amillennial folks uh, feel the need uh, to uh, describe themselves as optimistic amillennial, right? Um, I've used that description for myself. I no longer do that because I'm no longer afraid. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what they're doing is what they're trying to communicate. I've realized this. They're mm -hmm. trying to communicate my view of the end times does not necessitate a view like what you find in dispensationalism or most premillennialism of a degrading of the world before the end. Um, that Christ's um, discipleship of the nations of the world does not necessitate a smaller and smaller um, failing, you know, outwardly failing, secretly successful un amongst a small group we're going to get to watch him rock the world in the end, right? That they're trying to communicate. That's not really what I'm saying. Um, and so I, that's what, that's what they're getting at. And that is definitely the case. Um, obviously you can watch the, we'll call it the eschatological optimism of people throughout history. Very greatly, typically yep. based on their surroundings. Yep. Right. Quite frankly. Um, and so, but what I think what we need to protect is I'm going to use a J.R. Tolkien word, which means every Christian, every Christian listening needs to be excited for me, at least at this point, because um, I'm about to cite J.R. Tolkien. Um, right. We need to protect the eucatastrophe of Christ's return. Right. So like, right. This is the opposite of a catastrophe, like a sudden shocking where everything goes wrong that Christ's return will be a sudden shocking where everything goes right. And there are a lot, again, that doesn't require me to, to think about the world getting worse. But And it doesn't require me to say what has happened in history did not matter, right? Was irrelevant to what happened in the last day. Because if you think about, again, he's applying, when he comes up with the term, you catastrophe he's primarily applying it to the lord of the rings right he says that's the story i'm telling i'm telling a you catastrophe well 
the the end of the Lord of the Rings is obviously dire. It's obviously very dramatic. But the entirety of the story, because it's so well written, inevitably feels like it's leading up to this moment. Mm-hmm. But it's still this shocking and satisfying conclusion. That's what that's what we're trying to defend, right? That that while I don't have an opposition to gradualism of the kingdom of God, I don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. But what we're but what we're concerned about is the idea of of this this you catastrophe that Christ and Christ alone is the end of history. He's the solution to history. That's that history is summed up in his name and in his return. Right. Those are the things that um, that I think are often concerning. Um, so that's uh, I don't know that I just think those are the two things. Right. This this term of optimism that people feel and this what is this thing that when they talk about suffering, when they talk about all these things, I think this is the kind of thing that they're trying to get at. Um, and so. Hopefully that is helpful. Pastor Michael, do you have any other uh, potential responses other than that potentially uh, amillennialists don't know God or how he works? In his- <laughs> Before we take a few questions. It's not that you don't know God. It's that you don't know him enough. It's <laughs> but some someday you will. Uh I just sorry, I'm, I'm also laughing because I just saw, uh, you know, shout out to Bedtime Ben in the live chat just said i'm not sure how i feel knowing what you guys look like (laughs) so pastor michael (laughs) Michael attended our church plant uh this last weekend it was a really great thing some of the folks from uh the church in lacrosse were here and one of the one of the people in my real life who does listen to the podcast commented hey is pastor michael the guy on the podcast was he the one with the the baby kind of in the middle of the aisle keeping the baby in the back and i was like yes and that person said i hope i i'm sure this is a compliment said he sounds like exactly what he looks like so (laughs) talking about me i don't know but apparently his voice and his face and his demeanor all match so all right hey uh well i okay i so so let's take a few questions here. Pastor Michael, yes. here's one from the live chat. It is, is this an important, is this an important part of church membership? So you... this yeah, the, the specifics, no, right? Like the, the specific position, not or I what I will say is not necessarily. So I, you know, this is one of the things I love about the PCA is that um, the bar for membership is not, I don't want to call it low, but it's broad, right? Like it's, or it, like it, it is fairly minimal as far as what you need to profess and believe to be a member. It's pretty, uh, pretty simple, uh, and straightforward. And it doesn't actually include a specific end times view at all. And I think that's really good and, and, and healthy and right. I think that um, the 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 theological bar for membership in a church should not be what the bar should be for ministers. It should not be what it is for elders, deacons, etc. Um, I think it should be fairly broad. I don't think that you need to, you know, for instance, uh, 100% hold to everything in the Westminster Confession of Faith or or something like that uh, to be a member. 
what I will say when it comes to church membership is it may be helpful to know. Um, so this is actually uh, true for a lot of young men who are of the hashtag dat post mill um, side of the world. Um, there does tend to be uh, a kind of brash, like if you're not post mill, uh, then like you obviously don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but not just that, and I'm sure that this was you, Matt, <laughs> because of course it was, right? Like, of course it was. So listen, guys, if you're not careful, you're going to become mill just because of that, right? Like you, you have to settle down right now or, or you're no longer going to be able to have fun. Uh, but it is true that like there, like there are some, there, there are a lot of young men out there that have a particular like nope, this is the way that you can do things. This is the way you should think about the church. This is the way you should think about the mission of the church uh, because of what they understand to be their eschatological position. Um, and I actually agree with Matt here. I think that uh, generally speaking, they're really talking about a particular uh, way of talking about you know Christian influence on culture um, as opposed to uh, particularly an eschatological view. But uh, anyway, so in that way, I think it's, it would be good to, uh, you know, know, and it would be good to for, uh, you know, the church to know where somebody's coming from as, as they're coming into the church. But as far as to be a member or something like that, I, I don't think it's it's necessary um, to have a, a specific position in the way that we've been talking about. Right. Christ is going to return. He will set all things right. Like it, th there are certain things that you should right. believe because it is just the faith once for all delivered. Uh, but, but not the specifics maybe of, of these particular hermeneutics. And we will get there when we cover those things in the apostles creed. I would say actually it would, the only thing I would add, I completely agree with everything he said. Um, I think the only thing it, it'd probably be a red flag. And unfortunately this is a ton of churches in our country. Uh, if membership expects you to adopt a certain, view of the end yep. time and yep. obviously that is actually most common with forms of premillennialism um and dispensationalism that is actually a red flag yeah um, i if agree if the membership beliefs uh include that um all right yeah i think it's ideal for a church to have um folks that are of differing opinions on this maybe not ideal in the sense that it's going to be that way in the the golden age in the future but um but ideal in the sense that for right now, like I like if you're in a church where, like you're saying, it's it's this or nothing. Right. I that's really unhealthy, actually. Yep. And usually I would say, again, now there the dispensational premillennial did make that a test of orthodoxy. If you're in a reformed church, usually it is again, it's a proxy war for something else. And that is also unhealthy because yeah. one, it is passive aggressive and two, uh, then we should just address like, should you be allowed to be a member of the church and have listened to a Doug Wilson podcast? Um, that would be the, like that, like that, like if that, that's quite honestly what you're probably talking about. So, all right, Pastor Michael, here's a question from one of our patrons. Is is one better or or worse? How would we handle this question? Are we just talking like is are there? Yeah, what do we do? Are there better and worse positions? Maybe the right way uh, way to ask this. Obviously, we believe the view that each of us hold, which is right. different. 
is is better in that it is more true. Yeah, it's more true. Um, but what I will say is, I, to just answer it a little bit different way, um, yes, there are, uh, yes, there are uh, better or worse ways to hold any of these positions. That's what yep. I would say. Um, I, like there are, there are healthy ways to to hold um, most eschatological positions, and there are really unhealthy ways. That's that's maybe how I would take it. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty solid answer. I think that right this this question again, right, both Pastor Michael and I have registered the kinds of concerns and the kinds of things we're trying to protect with what we're describing in our eschatological views. Um, but again, as you see Christ come and the messianic prophecies fulfilled, there were better and worse ways to expect the Messiah to come, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and uh, and and problems that are that among were, his disciples, by yeah, the way, right? Like among the apostles, yeah. there were better and worse ways of understanding what it is Christ came and how he came to establish his kingdom. You know, and then there were ways that were damnable for those outside of it, right? Yeah. And so, I think probably the most important thing is to understand most specifically the the really critical things. Um, that set apart actual Christian views of the end and the rest. And I do mean, unfortunately, uh, I do think there's uh, set apart views of uh, post-millennialism and amillennialism and most dispensational views. And I'm sorry to say that I do believe that while many Christians hold to those who are truly Christians, the many dispensational views are sub-Christian. Um, and I, I would be willing to, uh, would be willing to defend that. And that is an unfortunate thing. All right, Pastor Michael, and here is the one must be asked by someone who is post-millennial because they care so much about what I'm doing tomorrow. Do, does your end times view impact your daily life and ministry? If yes, how? Pastor Michael, tell me, tell me how, take us home. Um, so I, I mean, I would say yes. Um, but I say yes, also believing that if I was convinced that I should start thinking of myself as a millennial, uh, that it wouldn't change. Um, again, like I said before, the, the passages that speak about the coming of Christ, um, almost every time, right, go read first and second Thessalonians and you don't find the passages there. Um, whatever day of the Lord they're speaking of, uh, you don't find them saying, okay, here's what's coming, right? Here's what you're expecting. Here's what's coming. So man, like get the newspaper out, uh, like be watching the skies, like, you know what the stars are going to do in aligning this way or, or, or something like that, right? It, there's nothing like that. All it, goes on to say are the things that you will find everywhere throughout scripture, which is more or less could be summed up in love God and love your neighbor, right? Like that every time. And um, so in that way, uh, it, in that way, I'd say, I, I don't think that it would change. Um, however, I will say that, uh, you know, being post-millennial, number one, I do have a lot more fun in my day-to-day -day life. Um, really though, I do like, I'm, I, I, uh, do think that it does in a healthy way, or at least it can uh, breed a healthy optimism for 
um, the the proclamation of the gospel. It can it can help with a confidence in the proclamation of the gospel, especially in the context of people that have maybe heard that uh, you know um, whether it be on a on the side of well, like none of this is going to work anyway because things are going to get worse and worse, and then everything's going to be destroyed. Um, so on a on a grand level, which I do think that whatever our meta narrative is, it does have a direct effect on our life. Whatever story we think we're living in, we're going to play characters that live in that kind of a story. Um, and um, so I do think it helps as far as as that goes. It does it does affect that. Um, I like I have a confidence um, in what God is going to do through the proclamation of the gospel, through the the expansion of His kingdom. Um, in the world. And that does give me a kind of, of uh, joy, confidence, uh, hope. Um, so I, I would say that. Um, I also think that, I mean, I do uh, think that uh, the, the hermeneutic that gets you to this position is helpful in understanding scripture. Just on a, on a basic level, I can read scripture that otherwise may not seem like it has any relevance to me um, but because I'm reading it in light of the rest of scripture, I think that that uh, it's it's uh, more readily available in a sense um, once a few of these these pieces to the puzzle are, are put in place. So I, I don't know what else I would say, but but there's some things, I guess. Yeah, again, I think I think we'd share a lot of things. I think the that I'll just say that I'll just say two distinctive things, because, again, I think we would agree in large part i think i think the i think a good test for you when you think about the end times regardless of what view you hold is go to the new testament read about passages where the end is discussed and think about if your view would cause that effect on you whether that be hope whether that be some kind of urgency in your life right whatever whatever it would be in that particular passage just ask yourself, am I trusting Christ in a way that would produce this, that he could produce this in my life? And if the answer is no, try and like pray through that, work through that, talk through that with others, right? That's that's the thing that I think, um, like if we were really going to get into this, that is the kind of thing that we would need to do. Um, but here at, at 925, we're not going to. Um, secondly let me give a few of the distinct like maybe my distinctive answer my first distinctive answer is that i think the church um in its spiritual task on earth um and again when i say the church's mission is primarily spiritual i'm not saying there aren't institutional cultural all of these things we have to do but that the part of that that Christ's church plays is one that is spiritual. In that I think what we find throughout the Bible, throughout from Noah, from the prophets, uh, from Christ at the end of Jerusalem to the apostles, is we are preachers of repentance. And that that is primarily the task in my ministry, again, and I'm talking about someone, this is a question about ministry, right? That I am here to declare the threats and the promises of God on a people to do so publicly um, for their entire nation, to do so for them personally. Um, and that that is primarily what I've been put on, put on earth to do. Um, and that Christ's decision about that nation and timing is, is his 
uh, to produce what fruit he would want. Um, that 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 is something I share going back to Genesis. That this is a thing that that unites all preachers of righteousness. Um, and so then, secondarily, um, I I'll, I'll make my hermeneutical thing. I think what happened, um, and I think we said this in our patron uh, episode, so it's probably good that I'll say it here. I think what happened for quite a long time, especially during the the pre mill uprising, where even the Presbyterians were were pretty wholesale adopting this. I think um, a revision of preterism, partial preterism. Obviously, we know some people have taken the black pill and went all the way like fools. Hence, uh, hence why there's there's bad ways to do post millennialism, right? <laughs> like that's. Don't go the Gary DeMar route. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> but I think a lot of um, a lot of people who were uh, black sheep adopted postmillennialism, um, and a lot of the arguments, uh, w- their arguments were not responded to. Um, so even when we mention people like Rush Dooney, we can re- represent people that are more respected, like Greg Bonson or others. I think they made a lot of arguments for post-millennialism that weren't really responded to. Um, But I don't think the arguments were advanced beyond that. And I think there is a younger generation of theologians, we might say guys like Michael Kruger, um, a number of these people seeking to reclaim um, and recover certain things from Christian history that actually now grew up and were smart enough to take their arguments seriously and begin responding. Right. And I think that is what happened to me is that I was like, no one's willing to respond to any of these post-millennial claims. And then I listen. And then as I continued to learn um, and it's continued to go into history and I found a professor like Michael Kruger, people who were like, no, I'm going to take their position very, very seriously. The things that convinced RC Sproul of these positions, I'm going to take them very, very seriously and consider them. And so I do think that um, that they have pointed out that even these proponents of post-millennialism have not answered all the questions that will need to be answered exegetically for it to be a viable end times position. And so you can loop everything else that you'd like into it. But if it's an end times position, it needs to be a viably it needs to provide me a viable reading of the book of Revelation needs to provide me a viable reading of the end times. And that is what um, these um, these wise and and um, theologians who actually were willing to take take these men seriously, which, again, I feel bad for all those guys. They didn't get taken seriously for a long time too late. But now we have. Um, and so it's going to it's going to actually force more conversation if they're going to answer um, these exegetical questions. So that is, um, that's where we're at. Um, and again, I think that the historical question, and this is why I think pastor Michael and I, maybe we haven't said this. Um, we've talked about, Oh yeah, we have so much agreement, which probably confuses people. So let me try and make it clear. Why is it so hard historically? And why can we say there's so much agreement? Well, a lot of times in history, before the specific millennial question was addressed in the church and specifically in the premillennial ways and then amped up to 11 with dispensationalism, 
a lot of things that we now call amillennialism and postmillennialism would have just been called the exact same thing through a lot of Christian history. And so I do think that there ends up being a lot more agreement than disagreement um, in the end. Yeah, that's why I've, you know, um, after our discussion, I said I'm I'm willing to accept the label of an exegetical amillennialist uh, on Revelation oh. 20. I, you know, like I, that doesn't it doesn't bug me, except it feels a little bit like, you know, I don't know, like you're you're just not able to be as fun anymore. Like you're getting old and lame uh, and I'm not ready for that yet. Um but I do, I mean, I, this is, you know, again, I, I don't think that we use these terms purely to discuss, you know, Revelation 20 uh, at this point, which I, I agree might not be the most helpful, uh, but it is, it is how we use them uh, across the board. And by we, I, you know, maybe not a handful of, of, uh, you know, academics, but the average person, the average discourse that's, I mean, that is how we use them. So, Pastor Michael, are you saying that when you're young, you're post millennial, and then you have kids and become a millennial? Is that what you're saying? I'm way to- more post millennial now that I have kids. Just for the record, I'm way more post millennial. All right, everybody, have some kids. <laughs> Um, no matter what you are, go pray with your wife tonight. You're not post-millennial or anything if you're not praying with your own family. So we love everybody. You can find our conversations where we interact directly with our questions on our Patreon. Uh, you can join us at a number of levels. Please rate and review this show. Thank you, everybody. We're going to end the stream. There's only a couple of you left anyways. Nobody wants to go past 930. All right. Check you later next week. Bye. <laughs>